Howdy listeners. And I'm saying howdy because you might hear my rooster crowing in the background. So there's a country morning vibe uh, happening in my land. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so ho- howdy listeners. Uh, welcome to another episode of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Hello world. I am Jay Goldberg. I'm in a very urban basement, lacking in all roosters or other wildlife. Urban <laughs> urban basement. So a couple of a couple of interesting things have happened over the last uh, seven to ten days. Last week was Qualcomm's big Snapdragon Summit. Uh, which I delightfully attended in Maui. And uh, upon exiting the plane Friday night into 45-degree weather, I wanted to aptly turn around and go straight back uh, to, to Maui. But good, good event. And then yesterday, Apple had an event. So we have a lot to chew on and talk about. I will let you start and then... I will make a uh, a couple of broader observations that I think are worth are worth tying in. So, so first off, I want to commend you because I saw photos of the Maui event and everyone was in a hotel conference room, dressed for a conference, and I kept thinking they're in Hawaii. It's it's beautiful and sunny outside, and they're in a conference room. There is no way I could have gone to that conference and spent more than five minutes in that room. I would have been, thanks for the update. I'm, I'll be by yeah. the pool. Yeah. I mean, I was very careful to not share the Ben is snorkeling at this moment in time and by the pool with a very expensive uh, cold beverage <laughs> types of pictures or, or the, uh, the the grant the 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 Maui Beach Resort in Wailea has one of the longest and fastest water slides <laughs> on uh, on the thing, and so I got like a bunch of the YouTubers to go on this with me, and they were videoing it with their Ray Ban glasses, you know, that run the Meta Ray Ban glasses down down the water slide, possibly ruining them with water, but we had a nice uh, we had a nice collective group, so there was some fun, but yeah, there was a lot of content, so kind of balance those two things but uh but you're 100 right it's hard to hard to be inside when you're in when you're in that climate so, so let me let me just ask you what was like the flow of the event like was it like two days and what were the different tracks like what were the sort of overall structure of the event so there's the the main sort of keynote and qualcomm's varied this throughout the year sometimes there's been two days of keynotes um they've just been shorter this was a really kind of compact first day keynote, kind of the big show, the unveiling of uh, of, of Orion named Snapdragon X Elite, which is their, their PC part. Um, also, they spent more time going into, this is Qualcomm's return to custom architectures. Then there was breakout sessions with Q&As with everybody from the different uh, business units, whether that was the mobile business unit, sound, auto, uh, XR and then obviously compute. Um, and then the second day was kind of a more focused deep dive technically on each of those things. And when I, I say technically loosely, technically for mainstream stream press, not people like me that want to go deep on, on architecture things, but, um, those technical deep dives followed by product demos, 
Um, as you probably saw yesterday, a bunch of the media released their benchmarking time with the Snapdragon X Elite. So there was a benchmarking session where we could go try the devices, run Geekbench, run some AI tools, run some graphic software, you know, etc. Et um, so that got published. So there was kind of always something to do based on where your interest was. But but again, you didn't have you weren't busy from eight to five. Like there was pockets of time where you're like, I'm only interested in this or executive roundtables this time. There was pockets of time to digest and talk. And and the good thing about that event is their execs are are really open. They're just kind of walking around and they're happy to chat. So you get a lot of time getting questions answered, uh, really candidly talking to them, which which, which I appreciate. Um, same with Cristiano. He's just kind of walking around, taking pictures with people, um, had a lot of ga- good candid talks with him. So it's a, it's a good event, good flow, pretty, you know, casual, but also a lot of meat. You know, if you want to go deep, there's that opportunity or you don't have to. That's that's interesting, because from watching it from the outside, I, I, I didn't get the sense that there was it, it didn't seem that exciting. Like like the, the news was somewhat underwhelming. I guess it's, you know, for people who have been watching the company a long time, it's, it, it is exciting to see a Nuvia product in production now. Mm-hmm. That was the big news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've known it was PC first. So that was interesting. Um, but beyond that, I, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I guess this goes to my bigger, my bigger question about the company is like, I really don't care so much about their PC stuff. I care about mobile and I care about auto. And that what didn't sound like anything really came out on those fronts in this event. Yeah, not not in the keynotes. Um, BMW was there showing off some of their ADAS stuff and a couple car demos, uh, which was actually pretty cool. Just to get a sense of like, what does it look like to use a car that's got you know an entertain a Qualcomm entertainment system and ADAS and some of that underlying technology into it. And some of the BMW folks were there. I know some of the YouTubers and media got a little bit more time with them. So they do a good job with the additional tracks. Like I said, it's kind of a choose your own adventure thing after the keynote. Where do you want to go deep? Where do you want to spend time? Who do you want to engage with? Um, lots of content opportunities. But yeah, I can see how if you're just kind of watching the live stream, um, it, it comes off very, 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 very different. So, um, but it was valuable. There was a lot of good interactions there. Um, and uh, and it's, it's always always productive. Like I said, the, the executive time where they're just walking around and you can just hang out with them. And I went down the slide with a couple of the executives. You know? So it was like, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Very, very, very uh, cool. It's, it's, it reminds me a little of mobile world Congress where, where there's no news, there's nothing really super exciting, but just the chance to talk to people and get a sense of what's going on. That's, that's the value of the event more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I pointed this out and I think we'll start with the Qualcomm bits and then we'll talk about Apple and then we might talk about the collective arm ish. Um, so, so one, it's obviously, it's a significant move that they are returning to custom arm architectures. Obviously, like you pointed out, we knew it was starting in PC first. And then at the event, um, you know, Cristiano and his keynote basically confirmed that this this architecture, the custom ISA, will come to all their products coming forward 
um, you know, for, for this same, same time frame ne- next year. So basically doubling down on moving away from a hybrid approach of off the shelf arm cores into fully custom architecture, uh, including all the custom stuff they already do and graphics and NPU and, 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 and DSPs and, and, and some of that stuff. So we're, so we're now back to a all Qualcomm custom solution with their products and roadmaps. And, and, and I personally, that excites me competitively as well as technologically. Um, they're also, uh, uh, I think deeply committed. And I think that's what this shows, uh, in terms of their investment here, um, across the board, which I think is, is positive. And, and, and when you really dig into you know, they didn't go into a lot of a lot of details that I would have liked on the architecture. I'm told that's coming at a later time, so um, I'm I'm stoked for that. But th- there are some things that they did that I think are important to point out that they couldn't have done if they did not return to custom architecture. Meaning the limitations that they're given by a off the shelf cores from ARM are are now gone. And because of that, they, you know, tuned some of these things, the boost cores, the frequency throttling uh, of the efficiency of the e-cores. Like I was listening to them talk and I was listening to some of the architects just talk about this. And, and it really was a, you know, we're free to really chase down the performance metrics, the efficiency metrics, um, things in AI that they couldn't do before that na- that now they can go down this road you know, fully unhandcuffed because they are back into fully arch. And so it felt the engineers there were, 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 were excited about this. So I, you know, was kind of equally excited about that. Like, that's good news. You guys really feel like you can take this technology and run with it in ways you couldn't. So, so that, that, so that was great. So point being, I think it's significant that they're returning back to, you know, customize with arm and I'm really curious kind of what that looks like competitively because you and I both know that's an expensive investment. There's CapEx, there's R&D, there's engineering, there's time to market uh, that comes along with that. So it's a huge commitment, but I hope technologically it leads to real market differentiators. I know this has been a big theme of yours for a long time. You're you're a big fan of custom custom ISAs, custom ARM implementations. Um, I think in the PC market, it's it's interesting. I, I have to wonder, though, because prior to the event, there was no other ARM in the PC event, in the PC market. And so the, the differentiation is less apparent, right? You just have ARM versus x86. Now, of course, M- Monday... The Monday of the event last last week, uh, Reuters put out a story about other people coming into the ARM PC CPU market, NVIDIA and AMD specifically. I have to imagine they right they both have architectural licenses. I imagine we don't know, but I imagine they're both using custom customizers as well. So, in it, it, at the end, how much how much will this mean? How important is it? So, so one, I just want to point out you you were quoted in that 
piece. I wasn't, even though I also talked to our friends at Reuters. So congratulations. <laughs> um, the, I, so I had a long conversation with this on this with not Qualcomm people, but supply chain people from other third party, big notable firms. And they don't believe that if NVIDIA did this, that it would be with, even though NVIDIA is an architecture licensee with custom cores, that they would do it with off the shelf ARM cores. Um, now you're right. AMD hundred percent has an arch license can do a lot. I don't know. I, I put less stake in the AMD rumor, um, but, but I think if you just objectively look at what the eight, the, the Snapdragon eight gen three was up to this point using custom arm cores, performance metrics, windows metrics, efficiency metrics, etc. compared to this one, it's, it's drastically different. And, and I have to put some stake in that to the fact that they've done some very clever architectural things here that they could not do. And that's why the gap between HN3 and X Elite is that high. And then more importantly, is actually pretty close to what we just saw with M3. And, and, and Qualcomm had been chasing Apple for, for years, like trying to really stay on pace because that's what the OEM, and they couldn't do it. And again, I, I don't know how much of that is custom versus off the shelf cores, but the bottom line is they just moved to a custom architecture and their performance metrics are very, very close and on par and competitive with Apple M3. I just feel like there's some correlation there. Right. I think th this is the, this is the, the root of it all is we, we tend to think of the PC market as sort of windows and Apple two distinct things, but in reality, it's one market, right? There's a tendency, I think, among analysts, we look, we look too carefully at chips and we, we segment that into two markets, but from a consumer perspective, it's one market, right? There's Apple and there's everyone else. And Apple has been uh, trouncing everybody on all kinds of performance metrics mm -hmm. since the M1 came out. And I think there is strong interest from the PC makers to have something to respond to that competitively and having Qualcomm in the mix and now potentially NVIDIA and AMD come into the mix gives arm brings arm to windows. I'm not yeah. sure how much that matters to, to the average consumer, right? Because the average yeah. consumer is still going to make the decision between which operating system they want. That's going to be their first choice. And then everything follows from that. Uh, so, now the question is, can Qualcomm and some of the other ARM chips, if and when they come to market, really break into the x86 dynamic? Get in any piece of that market for themselves. I am, I, you and I were talking about this a lot over the week. I'm taking the under. And whatever number is out there, I'm taking the under. I just, I, I have a hard time seeing consumers caring too much. I think it's a fair point. And again, right, you've got, we know Apple's ramping now um, for what's probably going to be a very strong Mac year in 2024, given that 2023 was pretty bad and they've been hovering around 10% of, of, uh, of worldwide PC sales. And so I think they'll capture some of that momentum back. Um, you know, they're going to have a strong year, which really is the biggest arm, if we're just looking at architecture, arm penetration into the market. 
Um, but you're, t- you're, you're, you're totally right. I, I don't think your average consumer and obviously your average enterprise buyer at this moment in time is putting too much stake in that. It's really going to be what does it deliver and how better, how much better is that product over something else that you're evaluating? And the, the positive, right, just the icing any or any positive takeaway that I think is just interesting is looking at the M3 specs and then looking at the X Elite specs, there is a pretty wide gap between that and X86. Now, again, to your point, that may not mean much at the end of the day as these devices roll out and IT makes decisions and consumers make decisions, but you really do see a pretty wide gap between the X86 players and the arm players that, you know, I just, I think it's interesting. It's an observation, but I think it's interesting just to see the depth of that gap. And I'll be curious if, and when, you know, your Intel and AMD can catch up to those performance per watt metrics, uh, including the, the NPU metrics, uh, how long that takes them. And then we see those in devices. Okay, should we should we take hit pause on that for a second and talk about Apple and then come yes. back and compare and contrast the two? Let's do it. So, let's do that. Okay. Uh, you start, Apple. Apple. So Apple, it's we're recording this on Halloween 2023. Last night Apple had a scary fast event, one of their new video keynote product launches and they launched three chips. They launched a bunch of MacBooks and iMac, but really the meat of the presentation was about their new chips, the M3, the new CPU. And first and foremost, they have three variants of it: Max, Max Pro, Max. Or sorry, M, M, M3, M3 Pro, M3 Max. And I mean, that's that's you know big news in its own right. I mean, there's three chips all at once, and they put up some pretty powerful comparisons, looking at mostly looking at. M3 versus M1. And there's big improvements across the board. Uh, they unveiled a bunch of new technologies that go with this uh, dynamic caching for making memory more efficient, ray tracing for the graphics. For gamers, that's pretty cool. Uh, and critically, this is also the, you know, the first, they, they claim it's the first consumer device that will have a, a three nanometer chip in it. Lots of Lots of very powerful... Uh, comparisons and numbers and demonstrations uh, on display at Apple. It was a pretty good event, I thought. Right, I listened to the keynote. It was, you know, I, th- I, I wanted to go out and buy the new MacBook, but admittedly, I, I really want the black one. I, mean, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just think that looks cool. Mm-hmm. That's why I want to buy it. But yeah. performance, yeah. the performance spec- metrics were pretty tempting as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, it was interesting. They They... They made a bit a, a really big deal of three nanometer. I mean, I think it's been a long time since they really kind of emphasized process technology as a part of the solution. In fact, I, I was trying to go back in recent memory and see the last time they made this big of a deal of uh, of a transition uh, process technology transition jump, and I'm just not quite sure uh, they have. I think they pressed on it, you know, quite a bit, which again kind of speaks to 
um, them wanting to say we're leading the industry here in all of these vectors in this case, right? Process technology. And you're right, right? The performance metrics were pretty good. It, it was interesting. I thought a lot of people kept picking up on, and, and Apple's actually done this before, so I don't know why why they were picking up on it again like it was the first time. Um, but Apple was compar- did more performance comparisons against the M1 than the M2. So like when they would say CPU is 30% more efficient, that was against the M1, not the M2, where it was actually 15% uh, more efficient. But But really it's because people aren't upgrading from the M2, right? They're upgrading from an Intel-based Mac, which is still north of 50% of their installed base and perhaps some M1 buyers. So they're not really trying to talk to the M2 buyer, which was my kind of interpretation um, of of how they were doing those performance metrics. Uh, But again, showcasing really great efficiency because again, the CPU architecture, which, which has been a new CPU architecture since M2, so it continues... To M3, and there's two aspects of that 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 I discovered early on that I think are just worth pointing about, about how they architect these things. One, the P cores are more efficient, meaning that the P cores can throttle to a lower frequency in idle. Um, in this case, zero. They can actually go to zero state, so completely throttle off. That's the first time I've ever seen Apple Silicon do that in in an M2, and the E cores can throttle to a higher frequency than M1. And so that's kind of their tactic of, well, let's let the E-cores do more than they did before in an efficient way, and let's turn the P-cores off entirely to save battery life. So those two things, I assume, continue. And then, as you rightly point out, the GPU has a new architecture with dynamic caching, caching which I confirmed the, the A17 Pro actually also has uh, dynamic caching as well. They just decided to not talk about it at the iPhone event and save it for this event. So basically both three nanometer products, A17 Pro and iPhone uh, 15 Pro and Pro Max has dynamic caching and the M series. Um, But it was super clever. I mean, being able to basically do dynamic memory, only bring the memory you need for the workload and not send a cluster that's more than the workload needs. That's an efficient way to do memory. It's a smart way to allocate memory so that other applications have enough memory to be used. So I'll be curious to see what that feels like on a, on a Mac when you've got many windows open or you're running a encode process task or a code compiler, et cetera. Um, but you know, they obviously went out of their way to say it's an industry first with this GPU architecture and, uh, and it's going to be a more efficient use of memory for a lot of applications and developers. Yeah. I, I, one other thing I thought was very interesting was they they are reframing their product offering because if you've bought a Mac in the past, it, it gets it can get kind of confusing. Like, what's the difference? Do I want an Air? Do I want a MacBook Pro? Which one do I want? It's it, there's a lot of there was a lot of segmentation going on, and they cleaned that up very nicely this time. They basically have a laptop you can pick a big screen or, or or a bigger screen, fourteen or sixteen inch screen, and then you pick the CPU, right? And like the, the screen choice is important for consumers. You pick that out first, right? How big a device do you want? But then you sort of pick how much of a computer do you want? How much do you need? And so they, they, had a, they spent a lot of time looking at how people use each of the three types of silicon, right? I personally think a Mac, uh, the M3 is fine for me. Maybe I'll get the mm-hmm. Pro, but I definitely don't need the Ultra, 
right? Because yeah. that's for people doing heavy graphics processing, right? I, you know, most of my email, most of my computer usage is very simple stuff, email and web browsing. Um, but they, they were, you know, they're like, this is, this is for most users. This is for consumers. This is for hard, hardcore coders. And this is for graphics designers. And it, I think that was that's it's a good way of looking at things. Like this is one of I mean Apple's real competency is understanding how their users, how humans interact with compute devices, and they're sort of redesigning their product offerings to to fit that in a more natural way. You know, if and if anyone from Apple is listening, good job on this. Let's do iPad next because that needs some. That's pretty confusing still. Yeah. And well, and the other part, the other part was the, I don't know if, if, if people caught on, but it doesn't sound like the 13 inch MacBook pro continues. So to your lineup yes. part that goes away and now it's 14 and 16 inch MacBook pros as the MacBook pro lineup. Yep. Another thing that I thought was astounding was they launched three chips yesterday and they're the only semiconductor company on the planet to launch a product this year and not mention AI once. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, now I, actually, to be precise, they did talk about AI, but only in the context of if you're an AI programmer, you can use yeah, the, developer. the MacBook, the, the Ultra. If you're a programmer and part of your programming tasks involve AI, this is the solution for you. But it was only in that context. They didn't talk about their AI. They talked about people using it to do AI. And I thought that was really, I, I thought that was deep and profound because everybody else is throwing AI numbers at us, tops and flops and transformer sizes. Apple can do that. There are neural cores, lots of neural cores in the chip. I don't know how many are in the M3 because they didn't talk about it. I asked them about it afterwards. They didn't give me a number, right? So and I, I don't think they're trying to hide anything. I think what they've come to realize is it doesn't doesn't matter for what most consumers need. It's just not that important. Yeah. And yep. so I, I, you know, I'm I, 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 I'm fairly certain that the the Ultra, at least, the Max, is capable of doing some pretty heavy modeling, like you know, tens of billions of parameter type LLM models. But that's you know, some very small number of people who need that on their laptop. For the rest of us, absolutely. You know, just using ChatGPT, I don't, I don't need a fancy, fancy chip for that. And so they didn't talk about it. I and I and I think you know, you bring up an excellent point that we have talked about before, and and we're, we're in this cycle, so so be it. But you know, people throw out tops, but there's no real description or definition of of what that means. And 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 this came up with a lot of kind of the other analysts in our, in our gaggle, uh, last week, because I, you know, I'm fine with the tops number. It, it, it essentially tells you an overall capability of an NPU, but what matters more and, and, or I think what will matter more in the future, because as you rightly point out, nobody's looking to run any of this locally at the moment, but where it matters is just purely what size model can I run on device? And that matters more in an enterprise context, to be honest with you. Because if I'm if I'm in a sales organization and my IT department wants to fine-tune a model for me to run locally that helps me with my sales content, emails, uh, you know, qu queries, whatever, 
that's not going to be a giant model. Like that's going to be a very small, probably less than 20 billion parameter model, maybe probably even less than 10 billion parameter model. Um, so that's what matters. That if a, if an organization says for data sovereignty, security, privacy, lack of hallucinations, accuracy, I need it to run locally. They just need to know: Can this product run my LLM, my custom fine-tuned LLM, locally? And I know what size it is. So that's that's the answer to tops, right? Tops should say this num- number tops means you can run this size of model in a commercial context, because I don't think consumers are going to worry about, worry about that at all. So I, I feel like it's just more helpful. And Qualcomm did say this, you know, Apple doesn't have it, but Qualcomm did say our 45 tops means you can run a XB parameter model in this case, llama or Palm and, or something locally. Like that's a relevant number to me because it means something about what you can do with the device. Tops as itself doesn't really mean a lot other than, it just shows you the capabilities of said MPU. Yeah, and, and we've made this point too in the context of data center purchases, right? When a company comes to sell a, a CPU to Google or Amazon, they're going to talk about, hey, we have these performance metrics, we have this many tops, we're we're benchmarking at these numbers. And the, and the buyers will say, yeah, that, that's great. Give it, give it to us and we'll run our actual workloads because we don't care about those. We don't care about any of those numbers. We certainly don't care about tops, right? We care about how our software performs on your silicon. And, yep. and unfortunately, and unfortunately that's where it's still like this, all this AI stuff is also new that we don't have a better way of describing the specs of something. And we, maybe we never will. Right, but it's it's you know it makes me miss the old days in in PCs when you could buy a CPU based on the clock rate. And you could see like, oh, this this has much higher clock rate, so it's gonna be faster than my old computer. That's that's not what's happening now with with AI workloads. Like tops and flops are not useful metrics. Um, yeah, and I, I thought it was telling that Apple didn't mention those at all. It's on their website. You had to dig it up to find it, but they didn't talk about it. But everybody else brings up their numbers a lot, uh, and because mm-hmm. It's 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 hard otherwise to tell the the story to get the marketing angle right. So, it's it's a you know, I I am I am getting you know increasingly of the view that. Sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. The the, the other thing I was I was just going to say one one thing I I thought was interesting was um, you know why why the NPU and so I was talking to some architects about this. You know, why, why not just talk about your tops and, and parameter models running on the CPU and the GPU? And the answer boils down to the, the NPU is the most efficient place in a, call it tops per watt, to run a sustained AI inference running in the background. So something that's constantly looking at what you're doing, predictive text, um, predictive mapping, uh, you know, again, everything that we would assume we call rightly matrix multiplication, but something that's happening in the background pervasively, observing what you're doing and trying to return a result, the most efficient place to run that and not kill your battery and get the most bang for the buck is the NPU. So, so, so that's why this block matters. I think this block is an important battleground for SOC designers going forward because you'll see operating system level tasks that are constantly inferencing in the background. You'll see applications. Um, A good example of one that I like a lot, even though it's running in the cloud, 
is Rewind, which runs on a Mac very well, but also Intel showed this at uh, at Innovation. But it's it's basically a DVR for your desktop. It's 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 sequencing what you're seeing in video. It's sequencing what you're hearing in any auto audio in the Macs or, or sorry audio that's happening for a meeting that you're doing. Great, but it's all running in the background. And the most efficient place to do this on device is the NPU. So I just wanted to make that point so that everybody understands why the NPU is an important architectural block on the die going forward. And, and this is where this tops parameter models, whatever is going to run it rubber meets the road again, not immediately, but down the road. But that's why the NPU is in this conversation and it's not just run it all on CPU, GPU and NPU. It's why this, this particular block is so important to sustained AI tasks, however they manifest themselves locally in the future. makes makes sense but I, I see i'm i'm increasingly of the view that we're we're going to go through a big pause in ai soon because we we don't really understand how we're using it as humans right i i, I think the most important ai tool to have come out in the last 4 or 5 months is the improvements in autocorrect on my iphone mhm right a- apple with the latest version of ios did something with AI uh, to Im- 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 improve autocorrect, right? And it's it's much better in the last release. Um, but th- like that's something that's just built into a software system that I otherwise would interact with. And I think I think that's part of why Apple didn't talk about AI in their keynote is because the things that really matter to consumers are features that are just going to get built into other software. Yep. And similarly, I have I have to wonder if all this talk about neural blocks in, in a CPU, this is just like this century's version of arithmetic logic units, ALUs, right? That used to be a discrete product category. We used to talk all about ALUs. And and now it's just something that's buried deep inside the CPU. And I, 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 I think a, a lot of this AI acceleration, a lot of these AI features that we're talking about in silicon today just disappear because they get blurred into blended into other chips. And Apple, I, I think yep. Apple demonstrated that perfectly well. Like they didn't talk about AI, they didn't have to. Um, totally. It wasn't what, what no, and, now, and, now maybe, and it, maybe, you know, a year from now, they come up with some new in, enhancement to Siri that suddenly makes Siri sure. really useful. Sure. But, but I, even if they do that, I don't think they'll talk about AI. They'll just talk about the features. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And, and I've said this before, and I know people like to pick on, Apple and say they're behind in AI, you know, in your, your text one is a good one. Cause I think that's probably the, the most blatant use case everyone can see that is absolutely a neural engine task. Um, but a lot of this stuff that Apple does in AI is in plain sight. Like it's hiding in plain sight. They don't call it AI, but it's essentially yeah. doing what we would describe as matrix multiplication, you know, a AI ish stuff. Um, and you're totally right. They're never going to do that. But, but I, I just think it's relevant to understand why architecturally sh- should they and others keep talking about the NPU. It's because it enables these things, increases their enable more of those inference capabilities in real time as a part of their underlying software operating system, whatever infrastructure. 
So I just wanted to make make that point about the the NPU. I'm a fan of the NPU. <laughs> so there, there, there you go. As uh, as it stands. Um, all right. Well, I think that was good. Um, we touched. On so I I most I, I think yeah. I think though we before we go, I think we do need to like sort of lay out what happens next because right we've seen now. Qualcomm is now firmly in the CPU market with a new set of yep. chips. Apple new chips new CPUs, AMD and NVIDIA in theory on the way. What does this all, Mm -hmm. what does it all mean? Like, does it, does it matter? Is it important? How is it, how does it matter? For, for the, the PC segment you're talking about. For semiconductors, for our audience. So, I mean, I, I would say, There's still the question of where ARM goes, right? So categorically, architecturally, is this going to continue to be a growth segment for ARM? Did anything that we learned from this relative to ARM um, help their ambitions in things like the data center? Um, you know, technologically, is there an advantage for them, right, in, in AI, in inference, if their NPUs might be a little bit more comprehensive and efficient um, as designers, you know, like Ampere might go forward with things like that or, or, or others. So I think there's still the architecture question, right, for ARM. Obviously, Apple is the biggest share, like we talked about on, on PCs. Does, does ARM start to gain more share in the PC space thanks to Qualcomm and if somebody else enters this market and, uh, and we now have four windows uh soc uh suppliers um momentum there right right could happen and then there's there's the flip side of that right too on both those points that i think for in terms of x86 and arm right it's, there's that's still the big architecture battle at the moment when it comes to to compute and inference not necessarily gpu um then there's the data center question right does x86 maintain its dominance in that space, which is similarly true of, of, of in the PC ecosystem, they're dominant there. Um, does architecturally become more competitive? That's kind of my broad stroke view that, that I'm curious about, because as we've talked about before, it feels like we're in an extremely competitive environment, but at the same time, we have a couple of still very dominant players, companies and architecturally, that you would look at market share and say, well, maybe it's not that competitive, but might some of those things get broken down as more players innovate on, you know, different architectures or custom silicon? Yeah, and I, I think, I think, it's, I think, you know, I was thinking about a lot of this in the context of Intel over this last week, which is that. Intel makes a lot of its profits from data center. It used to make a lot of its profits from data centers. And it, it, let's assume they, they have competitive products next year. That should be a good profit center. But they've always needed the PC side of their business as well because that is what fills up their fabs. That keeps, like, that's yes. the, where the volume is. And they make good profits there too. But that utilization factor is hugely important. Yep. And I think if you, if you wanted to draw the doomsday scenario for Intel is do these ARM chips start to become a bigger piece of the PC pie, right? Because even, even over the last few years where they've struggled with process, 
they've held on to their market share in in PC and client yep. for a bunch of reasons. Yep. Does that does Qualcomm, Nvidia, AMD start to chip away at that? And I again, I think the likelihood is pretty low for a bunch of reasons, mostly because of consumers just aren't aware of it and the benefits aren't clear to corporate IT buyers. But you could you could paint a scenario in which AI running AI on the device becomes important for whatever for all the reasons you listed before: data sovereignty, privacy, security. And at this this moment in time, I think the ARM story around AI on the PC looks better, looks stronger. Right, that, that will change. New products come out all the time, but I think there is there is a world in which you could see AI cracking open the PC market in a way that wasn't possible a few years ago, and shifting mm-hmm. share. Again, I think it's unlikely, but it's possible. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's that's yeah. what's significant here. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think just to, to button, to bookend this, I I agree. I I don't think, to be honest with you, uh, there's a scenario where x86 is no longer the dominant share in either data center CPU or, uh, or, or client. The question is how much would, how much could they seed if competition increases, but the other point that I think is actually re- really good is that regardless of how much Qualcomm bites into x86 or how big the Mac market share could be, it is absolutely lighting fires on Intel and AMD, perhaps in ways that we hadn't seen before. So the end result is still positive from competition. Like that, those investments are making very good competitive roadmap decisions that I hope impact all of our consumers' lives positively and obviously what people can do capability-wise in the data center. So the competition is fueling really productive stuff. Even if the landscape doesn't change, it's it's forcing people to get better in ways that perhaps they may not have had they not faced much steeper competition like they're, they're changing now. I, I think that's a good point. It opens up to me a, a good historical parallel because if you look at what happened in mobile, one of the real advantages that ARM had in winning over mobile was that you had a dozen companies making chips for mobile markets. Right now, over time, it consolidated down to just a few, but mm. all that competition, I think, really pushed the ARM side of mobile chips ahead on a lot of fronts. And x86 Intel only at the time just could not keep up with that. You couldn't keep up with 10 companies fervorously fighting and finding every niche and you know segmenting the market. And so I think that's the that's the potential here if we really do start to see multiple ARM PC CPU vendors come into the to the mix, do they create that ecosystem, right? ARM loves to talk about ecosystem, it's all over their prospectus for their IPO. And it cuz it's powerful, right? And again, it it's going to be challenging. I don't I don't think history is necessarily going to play out again that way but if it did that this is this is one of the areas that i think is going to be very challenging for for intel to fight back against yeah yeah good stuff so really the the end role at the end point here that we've gone back and forth for is competition is great and we're in a competitive environment we'll all benefit semis are remaining hot competitively so uh 
So good stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we will talk to you again next time. Thank you, everybody. Tell your friends, like, and share. Take care.